This program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Hawke's Bay, your community access media station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible. You're listening to Radio Hawke's Bay on 104.7 FM, 1431 AM, streaming on the web, www.radiohawksbay.org.nz. This is a program called the Women's Refuge Program. My pleasure, as always, to have in the studio Julie Hart from the Women's Refuge right here in Hastings. How are you going, Julie? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you. Uh, today's uh, topic for discussion is actually working for the refuge. But before we get there, just to remind our listeners, um, what's, what's the refuge all about? Um, So Refuge, of course, we're most known for our safe house services, which is available um, through a 24-hour crisis line. So somebody who needs a place of safety can look to come into one of the um, three houses we have across Hawke's Bay. But we mostly work with women in the community, with men. We now work with male victims Mm. of violence. Um, People don't have to leave their home. We can help them look at uh, getting protection orders, putting alarms in their home, things like that. So... Whatever it takes, if you're experiencing family harm, family violence, domestic violence, whatever name you want to use, yes. uh, we, we're absolutely there for you. And just a phone call away on 0800 Refuge. All right, today's topic for discussion is working for the refuge uh, because, one, you're looking for staff. In fact, you're, you're desperate for new staff. But just give, just give us a bit of an overview, overview about what it's like to work for the refuge. I mean, you've been there for the long haul, so it's... I have. So I've been there over 28 years now. And what I keep saying to people, because apparently it's not normal to be in a job so long nowadays. (laughs) Um, But I tell people I couldn't stay there if I didn't love it. Yes. Um, And absolutely. Prior to working at the refuge, I had many jobs, most of them not lasting more than six months because I couldn't Mm. find my niche, so to speak. And I was a mechanics assistant. I was a ferret farmer, worked for road markers worked in dairies and bakeries, did catering, all sorts of different bits and bobs, and then started off as a volunteer at the refuge mm. in 1994. Never back then would I have said 20 years late, 28 years later I'd still be here, right. but I am because I absolutely found that it was the, the perfect place for me. It really is a job that um, you put your heart into. Yeah, That is a long time, 28 years. And, uh, I mean, what is it that drives you? What What is it that keeps that fire burning? Because, you know, I, I guess most people's jobs have worked there for 28 years. I worked in my first job for um, 40 years. Mm-hmm. And people say, well, this is that a bit boring, but I just loved it. So so what, 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 is it, what is the passion that keeps you at the refuge? So when you first meet a woman, she might ring on the crisis line and usually – She's in quite a state at that point Mm -hmm. because it kind of feels to her like, I'm lost, I don't know what to do, I need some help. So they call and you can often hear a very heartbreaking story. But what you do know about yourself is that you can help. Yes. So our job isn't to tell somebody what they should be doing. Mm -hmm. So if a woman was to ring and say, I just want some advice, Mm -hmm. and then she tells me a terrible story, I'm not going to be going, you need to come in, you need to come in. That's not what we're there to do. But if she says... I would like to come in, then okay, let's see what we can do to help you achieve that. So it's all about the women setting their own goals and then how can we help them achieve those goals. Their goal may be to stay in the relationship and that's absolutely fine Mm. and we work through it, safety planning and things like that. Their goal may be to 
get out and come to our safe house, their goal might be to get out and get to Australia, yeah. uh, being the only place they feel safe. It doesn't matter what it is they're wanting to do. We will do everything we possibly can to help them achieve it. Where do you get those skills from? Because uh, you've suggested it's not your job to tell them what to do, but I might suggest that if I was doing it in the first instance, I would say, look, you've got to get out of here and get yourself right down here right now. So so where do those skills come from? I mean, do you have to go to university to get a degree to do what you do or what? Uh, No, we employ social workers, registered social workers. Mm -hmm. We employ um, one of our... Best workers worked at a bank before mm. she worked with us. Another one was worked in a sharing gang before she mm. came to us. We've had hotel cleaners. It's about you as the person. Mm. Having a piece of paper that says you've done the training, that's that's great, mm. but it's not essential. Your personality, your ability to relate to a multitude of women from diverse cultures, from diverse socioeconomic grouping, um, Often they are mothers, but there's also single women without Mm. children. You have people with a strong religious base, some with no religious base. It's a huge, diverse pool of of families that we're working with. So having the ability to work with all those diverse things, to be able to have a heart. When I first started at Refuge, I'm a terrible crier. Mm. If I I can be watching the... um, cat videos on Facebook can make me cry. Somebody says my son's graduating from university Mm. next week can make me cry. Mm. I'm a terrible crier. When I first got to refuge, women would be telling me their stories and and my instinct was to want to cry. Mm. And I thought, I can't do that. They're looking at me to be strong for them. And so I learned to control it. But sometimes I couldn't control it and I'd be apologising and they'd be saying, what are you apologising for? It it tells me you're human. It tells me that you feel and can be empathetic towards what I'm going through. So uh, to have that heart is is the most valuable thing. And that usually comes from life experience. So mm. a lot of our workers have been uh, victims of domestic violence yes. in the past. A lot of our victims might have family members, friends, neighbours who they know have experienced violence and they've seen it and wanted to help and wanted to learn Mm. how to help, we teach you how to do all that. So if you've got that heart, we can teach you how to fill in an admit form. We can teach you um, about protection orders and how to advise women around budgets and medical needs and all that kind of stuff. All comes from the training, but we can't train you to have that heart. No, you cannot. And and you mentioned that uh, over the years we've been doing this program, uh, you've made no secret of it that you were a victim of uh, uh, abuse um, in some of your relationships, mm-hmm. um, does that help in the, in the in the role that you, you you know what they're going through, you know what they feel like, you know what they've done? Well, in my case, I went along to train to be a volunteer, thinking, well, I've never experienced this before, but mm. I'm sure I can help. And it wasn't until I did the training that I discovered that I had been mm. a victim. Most of mine was psychological. Mm. I was physically hurt by a partner, but I ended the relationship. That came from the background of my dad telling me that um, you should be treated like a queen and Mm. you should treat everyone else really well. So when I wasn't treated like a queen, it was like, okay, well, this isn't meant to be Mm. for me. Some people can do that. Some people, it takes a bit longer for them to understand that what they have experienced is violence. So for me, I didn't realise I was a victim until I did the training. And does that make me more understanding of people's situations? Absolutely, because I know that I loved these people. Mm. 
and I loved them and I loved the relationship, but I didn't love the behaviour. Mm. But to get away from the behaviour, I would have to leave the person I loved. Yes. So it, it's quite a, a, a dilemma. It's one very hard to face and very hard, just one of the things that makes it hard to leave. So anyone thinking about coming to work for the refuge, talk us through, uh, what's a day or a week like in the refuge? (laughs) That's a common question, and no day is alike and no week is alike, and you can make the best plans possible for today, and you arrive at work and they're all out the window because (laughs) um, something has come up. We're a crisis organisation, of course, so if we get a call, I might have a plan to, you know, put my data into the database and to do some accounting and bits and bobs. But one phone call can throw all that out the window because there is a family who needs our help. And so being flexible, being able to think on your feet, to be able to be creative, to have common sense Mm. uh, is really vital skills for working within a a refuge and probably a lot of support agencies, actually. Um, So what is a typical day look like? Well, it includes um, working with whānau. So if it's an admit to the safe house, that's a process that goes through to get them comfortable, make sure they've got clothing, food, do they have any medical needs that uh, need attention? Do they need to uh, go to the police for making statements? Do they need to go to a lawyer to apply for a protection order or parenting orders? All those kinds of things. So you're constantly assessing what it is the woman is wanting to do, what her needs are, and then planning that out, so making lawyers' appointments, all that kind of stuff. Of course, after that work happens, you've then got to enter it into a database, so having a few computer skills is is handy. The data is about, one, because, of course, that's how gone are the day of the paper file where we just filled out a form and it went in a drawer and, and that was it. Nowadays, to get government funding, which a lot of our funding is, you have got to have data. We don't share personal details in that data mm. with government, but they want to know age ranges. They want to know what neighbourhoods, um, if they are, uh, what ethnicity they are, um, all those kinds of things. Dates of birth, how many children, what ages are the children. All those things go towards our funding Mm. because if we didn't provide that data, there's no way the government can see value for the money they're giving us. So that's um, what we do. We have lots of laughs. uh, We're probably one of the worst workforces for using bad language. (laughs) Um, I didn't notice how bad we actually were um, until we had two IT technicians in our office both of them male and we saw something out the window that was particularly stupid of the person who was doing it it was a a house bus trying to maneuver itself in a space that was just not made for a house bus and we're at the window saying using rather um, bad language to identify and describe the um, intelligence (laughs) of the driver Um, but it's for us it's a it's a release it's not a swearing at people it's it's a a way of releasing stuff and that's the other thing we have to be aware of when working for refuge is that it can be stressful work it can play on your mind I might go home at night really worried about the woman who who decided not to come in and we have to find ways of looking after ourselves so black humor is is one we have supervision it's called um supervision but it's in essence a meeting with a counselor Mm. And that's to look after 
our, our mental health to make sure that we're okay in the role that we have. We do a lot to make sure that our staff are in a healthy environment, are feeling strong, feeling supported. The team environment is one of the most important things, and we have an amazing team. How long does it take to find out whether you're suited for the job or not? Because, I mean, you know, like you've been there 28 years and you've got a handle on it all. But, uh, and uh, there are still stories that would make you cry, but how does someone new coming on board who thinks, oh, yeah, I'm going to go and help with the refuge? It sounds mm-hmm. pretty good, doesn't it? You're going to do a good turn, but how soon before you think, wow, you, know, you would hear some very harrowing stories? Yeah, and our work is hard work. Yes. It, it is, we have high volumes of um, families, so at the moment we have both safe houses full, so that means that we have got at least 10 women, and on average those women will have two children each. Mm. So just in our safe house services at the moment, those are our numbers. We also have the community clients, so it can be, the sheer volume can be overwhelming, mm. and that's where we turn to each other as a team to help out with that. What we do has to be skillful. We can't just wing it. No. So if somebody says, oh, what's a protection order? We need to know what a protection exactly, order yes. is, how it works, how much it costs. Um, for those of you who are wondering, it's free for most people, by the way. We need to be able to give the best advice and information possible so that that woman can make the best decision towards her, her goal mm. setting. So that, of course, takes time. A lot of people say, oh, it takes at least three months to settle into a job. It probably takes six mm. in refuge because there are so many components, including an emotional one. Yes. So, yeah. Can you tell when someone's suffering, a staff member, and they might not be saying, you know, like if you said to me, oh, I'd say, yeah, I'm okay. Yes, at the moment it's Megan and I who are responsible for keeping an eye over the team, and it's a bit like playing poker. People have tells, mm. and yeah. so we can we can tell when something is not good with somebody. But the beautiful thing is that it's, it is drummed into people all the time. It is okay to say, I'm struggling. Mm-hmm. That is not a failure. That's actually a strength to be able to say, I'm putting my hand up. Mm-hmm. I'm to capacity and I, don't have, I can't take any more clients. It's okay to do that. Nobody is um, punished for it. It doesn't go on any performance management no. issue or anything. It's about being real and being honest and seeking support. If you allow yourself to be vulnerable to people... That builds trust, and without trust, we've got nothing. So we need to trust in each other and be vulnerable to each other. I do it with my own team. On Friday, I was in tears in front Mm. of my team going, you know, I feel like I'm sinking. I need some help. And, of course, they immediately rally around, and Mm, what can we do? Mm. Okay, someone listening to this program who might be thinking, yeah, that sounds like a job for me. What would be the, uh, I don't know, is there three things that you could say, you need to be this? What are the top three things that you're looking for? Um, So... To have that empathy, to have common sense and flexibility and all those things that we talked about. Having life experience. So if you imagine and, and um, if we had a, a 16-year-old come, the most ideal position for her would not be in the safe house no. because she's probably half the age of the average woman there. Mm-hmm. That's not to say a 16-year-old can't apply. We do have other, other roles available but it's the ability to to relate. If you have a social work diploma or degree, if you have a background of experience in similar roles, that's a bonus, mm-hmm. but it's not essential. But those that humanness yes. is essential. 
Now, you've mentioned that there are a lot of dark things that come through the uh, the door of the, the refuge, the stories that is, um, but there must be good things because you've been there 28 years and you're going to be there for a while longer. When, when you get home, what makes you think, I'm so glad I work for the refuge? Every day there's something that makes you smile. Um, an example was a... a I think he was around about three-year-old boy that came into the refuge once and he didn't speak. He didn't speak. He, he only said a couple of words that were um, profanities. He didn't use any other words at all. He was in the refuge for about three days. He got that feeling of being safe, mm. that mum was safe, and suddenly he started talking in complete mm. sentences. That's a win. That That's an amazing win. Story. His mother is looking at him going... I didn't think he could mm-hmm. talk um, because she'd never seen it. Mm. But that was the effect the violence was having on him. That's how it was manifesting for oh. him. We get women who come back and they say, yay, I got the board and rent from work and income and yeah. I can <laughs> get a new flat. Yes. We get women who come in and say, I've signed up at EIT. I'm so excited. People who get a job, people who for every, and it doesn't matter, you, your wish by the end of the week mm is to be able to get yourself up off the couch and cook dinner yeah. because these women are tired, that's a celebration. That's something we notice. Mm. We see it and we come home smiling. All right, Julia, so if someone was interested in uh, perhaps putting their hand up to work at the refuge, what have they got to do? Um, if they email a cover letter and their CV and the cover letter, just tell us why it is you'd like to work for us. Mm-hmm. And they can send that to Helen, which is H-E-L-E-N, dot h at family vip dot org dot nz and if we want to uh, get hold of the uh, refuge for the purpose of being at the refuge how do we do that uh, easiest way is 0800 refuge that will get hold of us it will get hold of the maori woman's refuge in hastings and in fact it will get hold of most refuges around the country and Julie, my pleasure as always. You look after yourself and we'll talk to you same time, same place next time. Cheers, thanks very much.
This program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Hawke's Bay, your community access media station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible.